Love Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lodanik. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'm back with my three best pals. We're going to talk some women's football. It's me, Sam Lewis, Anna Arrington, and Angela Christian Wilkes. It was the final round of dubs. There's so much going on, so we need to talk about all of it because there is a lot. And we will start, as we do, with some you love to see it. So, Sam, kick us off. What did you love to see this weekend? This weekend, I loved to see Hayley Rasso getting her first hat-trick for Everton in the FA Women's Super League overnight. Uh, recording this on a Monday, uh, Hayley was central to Everton uh, in their 5-0 win over Brighton. Uh, not just in the fact that she scored three goals, one of which was an amazing Rasso-esque slalom kind of run and poke, which was just fabulous. She also won uh, the penalty for the first goal that was scored by uh, one of her teammates. And she was just absolutely buzzing for the rest of the game. She was involved in almost everything. She was nipping in behind, doing everything that Hayley Rasso does. Uh, and we'll try to we'll chat about her a little bit later in terms of perhaps Tilly's uh, kinds of conversations. It was also a perfect hat-trick. She scored with her left, her right and her head. So, yeah, it was just fabulous seeing, you know, Hayley Rasso, this player who we've all sort of believed in for a very long time, actually start to really flourish in in this Everton side. So, yeah, Hayley Rasso scoring a hat-trick. Love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. And the fact that it was perfect, just so good. Anna, what did you love to see this weekend? Sounding like a broken record at this point, Marissa. But as always, uh, I love to see Sam Kerr dominating, not just in England, but in Europe. Um, she's really making the doubters look really, really silly at this point in time, um, our Sammy. And I think if there was one goal that really underlined her class and her poaching ability and I guess her technique as well, it was her goal against Wolfsburg in the Champions League. So... Effectively, like Chelsea get on the break. Um, Frank Kirby pokes it out almost like just past the goal. So it's on the tightest of angles. It gets fed through. Kerr makes a great run, cuts around the goalkeeper and then sort of lifts it into the goal past the onrushing defender. The tightest of angles, um, difficulty level, very, very high. Um, World-class finish, world-class run, world-class effort, world-class player. You love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. And it's definitely not the only uh, goal she scored this week. So we'll chat about that a little bit later on. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? I love to see Kyra Cooney-Cross round out her season at Fortress Epping for victory with two goals. Um, They were both excellent, but my favourite was her her second where she just sort of received the ball on the left-hand side of the field guns it cuts in and just like I don't know just perfect shot but it hit in came off the Cairo Cooney crossbar ha 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 anyway um but yes and I think yeah just a fitting performance for just a wonderful season from her so really great to see that and that was yeah two goals out of six for victory so they finished in style there but we will talk a little bit about that later you love to see it we really do love to see it, but we don't love to see the end of the W League. It's like, where is it gone? Why are we already at the end? Thanks, I hate it. But um, we will review this last round of matches and we kick things off with Melbourne City beating Perth 2-1. 
it was a very memorable game, but not necessarily for the football. We will talk about that stuff a little later, but we'll focus on the football for now. So, Sam, talk to us a little bit about the football from this match. The football itself, I thought, was, uh, from Melbourne City's perspective, it was probably one of their best games. They were really, really dominant. Um, and I know it's sort of easy to be that over this Perth Glory side, but, you know, they we've spoken over the past couple of weeks about how Melbourne City and Perth Glory are sort of um, finding a little bit more form, a little bit more chemistry. Um, but I, I thought that this, this City side, they just, they looked confident and they knew that they had nothing to play for. Um, aside from, of course, Riley Dobson being her final match before retiring. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, I, I thought it was a, it was overall a, a pretty comprehensive kind of performance from City. And I, they probably could have put plenty more goals away. I thought Lily, Lily Alfeld, again, uh, had a couple of screaming saves. Um, Perth's defence didn't really uh, speak very highly of themselves, I thought. Um, City dominated possession as they tend to do. They had almost double the number of passes that Perth did. Um, and I think almost 10, 10 more corners as well. So, like, even if you just look at the sort of the basic stats, you can sort of see that Melbourne City were really the, the side who was on the up there. Um, and, you know, even though it, it didn't mean anything in the context of the season, in the context of the ladder necessarily, they finished on equal points with Western Sydney. You know, they, they both finished on 13. Um, and I think the, the sort of the story of the both of those sides is that, as they started to click and as they started to understand each other more on the field, they started to get better. And, you know, the, the fact that they finished on equal points at the end of the season is testament to that. Um, so in terms of the goals, you know, I, I obviously loved to see Riley Dobson uh, open the scoring just after the hour mark. Um, her celebrations were incredible. And it was just the, the sort of the perfect moment for her considering everything that, um, that happened in the week leading up to it. Uh, and then Alex Chidiak, of course, who uh, sort of came through just uh, just before the 80th minute, I think, with a, another fabulous goal. Uh, she was voted the, the player's player, I'm pretty sure, at City's awards night uh, not too long afterwards. And she has really been the heartbeat, I think, of Melbourne City since she signed. She's been so, so impressive. And I'll be really frustrated, actually, if she doesn't get a Matilda selection off the back of this, because I think she, when she came back to the W League after being in Spain, and she talked about the reasons she wanted to be here. She wanted to play football consistently. She wanted to become more confident. Uh, she wanted to make sure that she was injury-free. She's ticked all of those boxes. And she's been, I think, one of the most impressive midfielders in the league, even though she's played pretty much few, few, the fewest games of any other midfielder, um, aside from maybe one or two. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of Perth, you know, again, a pretty impressive performance considering... Um, I love seeing Patty Cheryl Lambus like pop up in the final sort of moment of the game to, to score a goal there. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've spoken about Perth in the past. I'm pretty much just, you know, echoing those same sentiments. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do next season. This one is, you know, it's got an asterisk next to it for me. Um, but yeah, um, overall, it was, a, it was a really fabulous night, for, but not really for, uh, for what happened on the field. We have a, a saying in the group chat when we're watching games for the plot, which has the subtext of usually you're watching because you find a player or a coach particularly attractive. But like, I love that this city game, it genuinely like rewatching it's like, it's for the plot. There's like all beautiful stories intertwined into it, um, which we will discuss later. But yes, genuinely watching for the plot this week with this game. <laughs> 
I was just unrelated to that. Um, just on your point about Alex Chidiak, Sam, um, I think her form's been particularly impressive given what she's been through, like quarantining. Um, well, she quarantined and came back to Melbourne, then went back to Spain, barely played, came back, had to do the two weeks quarantine again, had to build up fitness, having come off a pretty serious ankle injury, and then pretty much had an impact from the get-go. Like her first game, she showed a few sparks, but as soon as she started, she was so influential. Um, she's one of those players that I'll be really keen to see what, what happens next. Because obviously she's one of those players where if she wants to be in this first Matilda squad, she's got to be in Europe, as we discussed in our emergency pod. Tune into that if you haven't already, because we will explain why she has to be in Europe. Essentially, got to be in Europe to be in this next Matilda squad. Um, so she's going to be one of those players that probably has got a decision to make over this next few days in terms of contending for that first Matilda squad to come out. Because on form alone, she's put her name up in lights. She's been excellent. She's creating goals. She's scoring goals. She's buzzing around. She's played in a couple of different positions in that midfield and really excelled. And I think it's a real credit to her considering the time she's had. We see so often when players come off serious injuries or, or hardship that they struggle to find their groove and it takes them a long time and maybe they don't even settle in the W League season. But I think it's a bit of a testament to her professionalism and obviously her ability that she's been able to settle so quickly and make her mark, um, especially in a struggling team. It's easy to be the player that scores goals and looks good in a team that's absolutely flying, but to do so in a team that, you know, it's not the team it was last year by a long way is, is particularly impressive. So Sam, yeah, I'd love to see her in the mix for that Matilda squad be it maybe the June one. If, if she doesn't get a move overseas, maybe it'll be the June one that she pushes for. Um, but if she does go to Europe, fantastic. She should be putting her name up in lights because can always do with more creative attacking midfielders. I really liked, um, I really liked this. Um, Tori Schumann's assist for Dobson's goal as well, which I thought was very cheeky and really good to see for her. I think, yeah, she had a bit of a rough trot to the start of the season and I think she's um, grown into a slightly different role than what she started with and yeah that she would have been thrilled with that as well for assisting Riley with that so yeah did love that credit to um City for making that move as well because clearly she was struggling playing as one of those three center backs so playing her as more of a fullback I guess a few more attacking responsibilities not so many defensive ones probably helped in terms of her engine as well having to get up and back a bit and between that that goal and the Kira one um the other day she had a couple of assists now. So it's a pretty positive end to the season for a player who probably started it on a bit of a low note and is, has improved as it's gone on. And that, um, as you say, Angela, that little cheeky back heel, the presence of mind to pull it off is a, is a really exciting moment. Yeah, so it was City ended their season with three wins from their final three games. So you could see that they really were starting to build that momentum, as Sam mentioned as well, City had their um, end-of-season awards. So Tegan Micah was their player of the season. Alex Chidiak was player's player and the Golden Boot. And Leah Davidson won the coaches' award. So I reckon they're all pretty fair assessments of those players' seasons. But we'll move right along to Friday night's game. It was Canberra and Sydney playing out a scoreless draw. It was... It was an interesting game. I don't think any of us expected it to 
play out as a scoreless draw. Angela, do you have some thoughts and feelings on Canberra v Sydney? It, it was a good game, but I was sort of just like, wanted a little bit more chaos, like just a smidge. I don't know. But um, something really good to see with that. And actually, this is a little bit chaotic. I'm not sure what's going on here, but Tash Pryor was, has just signed for Sydney and played out the full game as a centre-back. Um, I think she did really well, but the big question there was she retired in 2019 because she had one too many concussions and didn't want to risk it for health reasons and that sort of thing. So that was interesting added a little bit of um spice I guess to the mix but as for the game itself I yeah I think they both had good lots of chances Michelle Heyman sent one straight to the keeper pretty early on that I think could have set them up and um yeah put Canberra in a good position there um but yeah aside from that it was kind of what yeah you know scoreless draw (laughs) Yeah, Tash Pryor, yeah, yeah, it's a really good, uh, it's a really good pick out. Like she retired in 2019 from all football. And the reason for that is because she got a really severe head injury playing for Canberra um, at McKellar Park. And, you know, she just suffered the the, the kinds of um, sort of long-term issues that a lot of athletes suffer in terms of concussion and, I think a lot of people were surprised when she even just returned to the MPL. She came back with the MacArthur Rams last year um, and was sort of played in central midfield, perhaps as a precautionary measure so that she wouldn't have to head the ball too often. But uh, against Canberra on Friday night, um, whenever the ball was sort of coming at Natasha's head, I sort of had to like hold my breath a bit. Like, oh, that little, I could just like picture the little brain, like, you know, bouncing around in that spell of hers and I'm not feeling good about it. Um, but I thought she was fantastic. You know, she she slotted in almost seamlessly alongside Nat Tobin. And considering she hasn't played league level football for almost three years, it was quite extraordinary that she was able to do what she did. Um, but I agree with you, Angela. I mean, the game was just sort of like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was at the ground at Viking Park, which is a fabulous football venue, and I'd be really surprised if Canberra don't sort of continue to play games there in future. Um, the crowd was fantastic. Just under 2,000 people were there. Lots of men, lots of boys as well who were there in much like Michelle Heyman jerseys, Grace Ma jerseys. It was all, it was fabulous. Um, and, yeah, you're right. You know, if Michelle Heyman had sort of been a little bit more clinical in those early kinds of stages of the game, I think it probably would a completely different complexion, as it would have if Claire Wheeler's goal had not been offside. You know, I, I didn't see the replay because I was sort of at eye level with the ground, but it didn't seem to me like she was offside, so I was a little bit sort of uh, mystified as why that wasn't given. Uh, and then, yeah, and then, you know, the biggest talking point perhaps moving into finals is Courtney Vine. Courtney Vine going down with that knee complaint and having to come off the field. You know, his attack just looked pretty toothless after that. Uh, and, you know, knowing that Sydney have to play Melbourne Victory on Wednesday, who have very, very good defenders, and now you don't have probably the most influential attacking force on your entire team potentially lying off for you. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty scary. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I thought I thought Canberra probably could have won it. Um, I, I wasn't super impressed with Sydney, but it was sort of a, 
unstoppable force movable object kind of game like it was very sort of back and forth and you know neither team really carved out serious opportunities sort of post Courtney Vine being substituted off so yeah I'd be I'm 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 nervous I'm nervous girls I I don't know I don't know what the next three days is going to hold yeah and Courtney Vine coming off that's yeah a massive loss for Sydney and I suppose with that as well something that I was thinking of watching the game is that Canberra and Vicky Linton, I guess this is her doing, have managed to tweak things a little bit throughout the season and in turn have improved a lot from where I'm sitting. And so last time they played Sydney, they lost 4-0. <laughs> um, and that's also due to, yeah, Sydney having that amazing front three in like Seams and Ibini and Vine. Um, but at the same time, I think on Sydney's part, there hasn't been that much movement with those sorts of things because they were blessed with this incredible attack from the start of the season. So now moving into finals, it is like, yeah, as I, if I was a Sydney fan, I'd probably have the heebie-jeebies a little bit because maybe there isn't as much depth up front as you would like. And I think we'll talk about this later as well. Same for Brisbane in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it, it has been good to see. Canberra improve on that front. I'm a little bit offended, Sam, that you would say that the Southside venue is better. Um, but also my opinion is ignorant because I've never actually been to a game at Viking Park and I'm super bummed that I didn't get to go this season. But, you know, have you, you've been to McKellar. Yes, you would. I've been to McKellar, yeah. I, I, but I, I like that Viking Park is a little bit more central to uh, sort of lots of restaurants and, and mm. other kinds of things. Like it just seems like it's a bit, bit more sort of <laughs> in the community. And like even into sort of like good, a good 20, 25 minutes into the first half, there were still people trickling through the gates to, to come and sit around the hills and watch. And it's fabulous being able to go immediately behind to the, the Viking club and, and have, you know, beers and watch some more dub at the pub. Um, and that's where the, the team went back to celebrate after they got the nil all draw as well. And they, you know, they uh, there's footage, I think, of, of the whole bench jumping up into the air as though they had, you know, won the entire uh, competition, but they, you know, it was just because they qualified for finals for the first time in three years. So that was, that was great. And the crowd were really, really fantastic as well. They made heaps of noise. Um, the, the venue itself was beautiful. The weather was beautiful. Everything about the, the whole night was, was really great. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I went down. That's a Canberra enough. I'm glad that you had a good time. When you said restaurants, I'm like, do you mean the Maccas that's behind the ground that you can see on the broadcast every week? It's sort of a beautiful beacon in a lot of ways. Anyway, Anna, sorry, I'll stop nuffing it up. I guess the other talking point to come out of this is with a draw, Canberra ended poor old Adelaide's finals hopes, uh, they really did all they could in their last game, Adelaide, to seal a final spot, but it just wasn't enough. And you really feel for them. Like we are, we've talked all, I guess, all season about are they going to Adelaide it, which is just miss out on the finals in heartbreaking fashion. And I don't think they could have Adelaided it any more than they have Adelaided this season. Like you just have to feel for them. Like. They played so well. They had so many great moments, so many highlights, and they've just fallen devastatingly short. And Canberra get a scoreless draw against Sydney, and that was enough to keep them ahead because of their because of their goal difference, really. So, and with Melbourne victory later winning against Perth, that just sealed the top four. So, 
I guess, commiserations to Adelaide United, who I think were one of the most exciting teams in the W League this season and have missed out in really the roughest of situations where you've got to watch everyone else play and hope that it falls your way. And unfortunately, it didn't. So, yeah, tough times for Adelaide. But, yeah, congratulations to Canberra, who, um, yeah, really, as we said, only needed a draw to make it into finals. Got the job done. And for me, they look super dangerous coming in. We know Brisbane are losing players. Um, Sydney, as Sam mentioned, probably weren't at their best. Uh, we'll talk about victory a little bit later, but we know Canberra can score goals against pretty much anyone when they're up and about. They just have a, a bit of X factor about them. So, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily want to be coming up. Well, I wouldn't want to be coming up against any of these teams, but Canberra, I think, just might have something special come finals. You're right. Lots of players returned to Canberra. Canberra itself returned to finals. Could they also be returning the championship back to the nation's capital? Who knows? We're going to find out. But as you mentioned, the the other team that is definitely, well, definitely had their finals place booked before we started this round was Brisbane. They were 3-0 winners over Newcastle. Cassidy Davis set a new record for the most consecutive games, so that was kind of the highlight for Newcastle in what was otherwise not a great performance from them. Um, it was the perfect send-off for Claire Polkinghorne and Emily Gilnick, but I think now all the attention turns to how do you manage to cover the likes of Claire Polkinghorne and Emily Gilnick? Sam, talk to us about Brisbane's 3-0 win. Yeah. <laughs> of course they did this. Of course they played like this. Of course they defeated Newcastle 3-0. I don't think anyone was expecting anything less from this Brisbane side. Um, it was, as you mentioned, it was the last game for both Claire Polkinghorn and Emily Nick. And that's, again, probably the biggest talking point for Brisbane coming into finals is how they are going to address those gaps because Gilnick secured the golden boot for the entire W League season uh, at the end of this game, which is great. She finishes the season on 13 goals, uh, which is a career best high for her, um, but it's fabulous for her. And it's great. Um, I think it's great momentum for her to carry to Sweden as well so that she can sort of kick on and also kick on into the Matildas. But yeah, I mean, that's the, the question of depth, you know, perhaps we saw some sort of answer in that um, in it. Well, in this game, in the sense that we saw Caitlin Torpy get her first goal of the season and we saw Mariel Hecker get, uh, get the third goal against Newcastle as well. So there are options there. Uh, bringing on Letitia McKenna a little bit later in the game, as well as Larissa Crummer are perhaps other options. Um, but it's, you know, it's the stuff that Gilnick and Polkinghorne do elsewhere that I think is going to be most sorely missed by the team because they're both such important leaders. They're such important communicators. And ever since Gilnick was moved into a more central role, I feel like Brisbane have been playing uh, much more impactful and efficient and scary football you know there were some passages of play against Newcastle where Gilnick was involved in the build-up but didn't necessarily get on you know get the goal but she did some beautiful one-twos to send through other players she was you know part of a series of passes and movements off the ball that barely touched a Newcastle player for like five or six different passes um, and, you know, and Polk's had a, an absolute blinder of a game as well. Like she is, you wouldn't know that she's in her early thirties because she is like, she is still speedy as hell. She was keeping up with some of those Newcastle wingers like that, like they were nothing, you know? Um, and she's, she's such an important person for this entire sort of side and for the crowd and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'd be curious to see what happens to, to Brisbane from here. Um, 
and you know not just in the sense of what happens on the field but also off the field because you know like I mentioned we're recording this on a Monday and Brisbane are currently uh, plunged into an emergency three-day lockdown because of coronavirus cases up there so if, you know Brisbane Raw um, as a result of this win are now locked in second they can't finish any lower than second which means that they they get a home semi-final but whether they actually play that semi-final at home is going to be the question so we'll, we'll keep everyone updated on our social media um, channels in terms of what we hear out of that perhaps they will semi-final somewhere else in Queensland maybe on the Gold Coast or maybe they'll fly the the raw players uh, into state so that uh, any visiting teams don't have to quarantine when they return for the final. Uh, but yeah, it's all you know typically chaotic. The other way, perhaps I don't know really. Um, but yeah, that's again like I was saying before in terms of the Melbourne City Perth game. We've already spoken about Newcastle in the same way, so I don't really think we need to tread over old ground there. Brisbane somehow managed to pull off. A championship win despite this build-up it will be incredible like <laughs> losing Claire Polkinghorn losing Emily Gilnick so you're losing your best defender your best forward will on form the league's best forward uh, there's no doubt that their lead up to this final is going to be disrupted in some way as you mentioned Sam there's this lockdown I think we'll get a bit more clarity as their lockdown progresses um, as to what it will actually mean um, for, for that game as to whether teams will be able to travel there. The Gold Coast seems like a pretty likely option. We've seen them play there before. They played victory up there earlier in the season. That was when they smacked them 6-0. Um, it's, it's a bit of wait and see. I, I don't envy those players at all. It must be very unsettling in the lead-up to finals. But if they get through this lockdown, like at the very least, you know, they've lost two key players in Claire Polkinghorn and Emily Gilnick. They're going to have a disrupted lead up to their final we don't know yet if they're even going to be able to take advantage of their home final advantage and all that plus they're not even going to know who they're playing until after that game on Wednesday night like it couldn't be a more bizarre lead up they don't know if they'll be playing Sunday or Monday they don't know if they'll be playing um, Melbourne or Sydney like it's it's a chaotic lead-in and as we said they're missing good players if they somehow pull out a semi-final win and then go on to win the championship. It will be memorable for so many reasons beyond obviously it being their first in 10 years, because it would mean that in the most chaotic season, they'd have had the most chaotic finals and somehow pulled through it all. Like be a hell of a story. And we know the W league delivers stories time and time again, but if this, if this Brisbane raw team can somehow find a way to win from here, it'd be incredible. I love that, like, we were talked at the start of the season, Brisbane Raw was sort of immune to the Matilda's exodus in a lot of ways, but now it's just like, oh, oh you're having your own mini Matilda's exodus. That must be fun. Oh. <laughs> like, Matilda's exodus? Don't know her. Oh, shit, I do know her. And, like, the cruelest sort. Like, you're just like, look at all these great shiny toys we have. <laughs> oh, Oh, no, you're taking them away for my birthday. No. I was just about to have my party. We were going to have a great time. You can't take them. But, yeah, don't, you're, you're right. It would be insane, but this has been the most insane season of them all. And another team that could have a really insane storyline if they do get up is Melbourne Victory. They were big 6-0 winners over Perth Glory 
on Sunday and it secured their final spot. And as we know, they could still finish first or third. And considering they were fifth not that long ago, they've been basically everywhere on the table. So, Harrow, talk to us about this game. Essentially, if Melbourne Victory win on Wednesday night, they'll pull off one of the all-time great Bradbury moves of going from fifth at the start of the last weekend to first, um, which would be amazing. Um, They've done everything right so far, and I think they really needed to make a statement coming into finals. I think, yeah, I guess we've been talking about them simmering and getting results, doing what had to be done, winning ugly. They beat Wanderers 1-0, then they beat Perth. 1-0, 1-0, you know, a little bit jammy. Annalie Longo has just sort of scrambled goals in both. I think Jeff Hopkins would have wanted to see his team really hit their straps before finals, like really show what they can do, really flex a bit of muscle, um, I guess work out a few of the cobwebs because they have looked a little bit rusty at times. And um, we know they obviously had a game postponed, that game against Sydney. So unfortunately, Perth Glory got to be the team that Victory came up against to do that. They had their final spot on the line as well. It's worth remembering that they weren't locked into finals before this game. So they needed to make a statement. They needed to prove a point. And unfortunately for poor old Perth, uh, they hit him for six. Just smacked him. Perth had a couple of early chances um, that were ruled offside. Um, Katarina Jukic, who was retiring, um, great little moment for her where she did this sort of really cheeky chip Rabona, like the flag had already gone up and she's sort of like, I'm going to finish it anyway. And she just buried it. It would have been one of the goals of the season had she not been offside and yada, yada. But you love to see players do that, especially in your last game. Why not? Um, but from there, it was very much all victory. Like they had a couple of chances that they didn't put away and you could feel there's a little bit of tension, but there seemed to be plenty of belief. Like they scuppered a couple, but then once Melina Ayers buried the first one, it was it was pretty straightforward from there. So she got her brace, 21st minute, 35th minute, a couple of pretty handy finishes. I loved her second one where she just forced her way past, like Lily Alfod's made a save and um, Ayers has just done a great bit of striker's poachers work and just got in and got a boot to it and forced it over the line. Um, I've really enjoyed her development as a player. Yeah, I, I, Melina Ayers has been so impressive, I think, for the whole season, really. And I, I was getting flashes to when Larissa Crummer was absolutely killing it for Melbourne City and she won the Golden Boot uh, in 2015-16, I think Young Player of the Year or something as well. And she was like the the poacher's sort of striker. Like, like that's what, that's. I mean, we called her a tapping merchant, but like she got the job done. You know, she was in the right place at the right time all the time. Mm. Um, and yeah, Melina Ayers, I think, has just been one of those sort of central workhorses that perhaps we haven't really acknowledged and celebrated enough because her and Mindy Barbieri as well, I think the two of them have just been astounding. And considering they're still both younger than 24, that's it's pretty incredible that they've like locked themselves into that midfield surrounded by so many senior players. Well, Mindy Barbieri actually played her 50th W League game on Sunday and she's only 20. And when you think she had a season wiped out by an ACL and her first season was kind of just little glimpsy cameo sort of performances as well, um, which shows how highly they rate her at victory. And I loved her um, presence of mind to set up, um, to set up Melina Ayers for that first goal. Angie Beard put in a great ball in the lead up. Angie Beard was fantastic. I thought just absolutely everywhere once again and, really showed her quality. Um, but yeah, from there, I thought it was super clinical from victory. Like uh, the Claudia Bunge header was spot on what you like to see your centre back doing. It was great to see Catherine Zimmerman come on and have an impact as well. Uh, 
Annalie Longo had a bit of a clash of knees and apparently copped a bit of a, a bad corky to her quad, which might I reckon might put her in doubt for that game on Wednesday. I guess we'll wait and see. But Catherine Zimmerman came on basically at halftime and scored, you know, eight minutes later. So it just, just shows how dangerous that forward line group is. And Angela mentioned in her, you love to see it, it's Kara Cooney-Cross, um, who ended up getting a brace. Like, she was involved in absolutely everything. So creative, had so many chances, like, go begging. Like, one where Alfa made a really good save. Um, she had a couple just sort of drive wide or go over. or And she got her teammates on the end of a few um, big moments as well. But I loved her first goal as well, um, Kara Cooney-Cross, where she's just had the presence of mind to take a nice touch and just sort of slide home the finish as well. Um, for me, a real statement performance from victory. Super disappointing for Perth. Like, I really feel for them because, as you said, Sam, they've really been building. Like, they've been getting some good results. They'd come close to sna- to snatching some wins. They'd sort of only been losing by a goal or two. And that's just such a awful note to end a season on. A 6-0 thumping where just they looked nowhere near it. Like they had a couple of bright early moments, albeit ruled out by the offside flag. But as soon as victory got that first goal, it kind of felt like Perth crumbled a little bit. And especially after halftime, victory were resting players and taking them off and getting fresh legs on. And poor Tiff Eliadis is so desperate for that first WD goal and just kept putting them over the bar. Um, But Perth were just nowhere near it. But yeah, for me, I guess it was more all about victory, to be honest, like statement performance, smashed a heap of goals in and just showed that they can be super ominous coming into what's going to be a massive, massive week. I I just want to join the Melinda J. Barberi loving, if that's okay. (laughs) But yeah, no, 100%. And I think she's actually been like, first of all, consistency this season, as you said. And I like previous, I think the previous four seasons she's been with victory that she's played really has only ever come off the bench. And so she's actually gotten, I think, seven 90-minute performances, if I know how to do maths correctly, this season. And But I think because Kara Cooney-Cross has been so excellent, like I've, I'm guilty of this, of not noticing what MJ has been doing in that space in attacking midfield. Um, but that's also really exciting because, yeah, she's part of that sort of group of players that have been developed under Jeff Hopkins over the past few years. And... I think for Kyra, this may have been discussed pre-pod with us, but like surely she goes overseas, right? And then you have someone really capable who's been getting good minutes at W League level to step in those shoes. It would be um, Barberi, I think. So that's really exciting. Oh, Marissa, you also um, at the game. You you mentioned someone that you were you have been impressed by that you underestimated at the start of the season. Do you want to talk to that or not? <laughs> I mean, I never said it on the pod, so I don't have to out myself particularly, but Polly Doran has really come on in leaps and bounds and has impressed me a lot. I didn't, her first few performances, I was like, I don't think we're going to see much of Polly. I think Jeff's going to put in Leah Privatelli. He knows that she can do the job and I don't think we're going to see much of Polly. I'm happy to eat my words. Polly has been absolutely excellent. And Polly will feature later in the pod. There's a little uh, bonus for you. We will get more Polly chat. What I like about Polly Doran is, um, and friend of the pod, Tom, mentioned this um, when watching the game, was that she's very much a ball-playing defender. Like, she's not just your run and gun. Like, Leah Privatelli is more your straight lines up and down, whip the ball in sort of player, hard yards, whereas Doran likes, seems to really enjoy getting on the ball 
and she is getting more composed, getting more confident and just offering something, I guess, a little bit different on, on that right-hand side. Um, I think Angie Beard, fantastic. I think uh, she was excellent against Glory. He really had no answers for her. And she was really just drifting wherever she wanted. A couple of times I'd be like, what are you doing in the 18-yard box? And he'd be like, oh, Perth just haven't covered her. Like she just kept working and working and working, um, which is really exciting for them. And we've talked about this victory defence before, how they seem to be, seem to have put together a really solid unit, which is so impressive given they haven't played a whole lot of football together. Um, with Claudia Bunge and Kayla Morrison, I guess, forming a really nice centre-back combination. It's, yeah, I can't wait to see this game on Wednesday. Like, I think it is, it's, it's a shame that it looks like maybe Courtney Vine won't be available because I think it's probably the most, well, one of the most dynamic attacks up against a really, really impressive back line. But, I mean, Victory have got a whole lot going forward as well now. So, it's, I think it's going to be an absolutely cracking match. Like... It's amazing that they haven't played already this season. I think we're used to seeing them play off a couple of times a season. They usually tend to be the repeat fixture, but for various reasons, that's not happened this year. So, yeah, and when it's all on the line, Premier's Plate, bragging rights, home final, like, it's going to be a belter. Really fun and sexy, as Marissa put it, if victory get the Premier's Plate after as I said, losing 6-0 earlier in the season. But that's been the interesting thing about this season. I feel like every team has had a moment where they've shut the bed a little bit and still put in excellent performances. And maybe that's just one of the things that happens when you're playing developing players. And Sam, you, did you have anything to say? No, like that, that's, you sort of covered everything. And I like just the concept of Courtney Vine versus Angie Beard, like gives me so many feelings. I want that so badly to happen, you know, because I just want to sit there and, and witness it just as a fan, you know, to just, because that could explode into something really exciting. But likewise, so could Polydoran versus Ali Green. You know, that could be a whole thing because they're two very tenacious attitude-filled, physical, speedy sort of uh, outside backs. Um, so, yeah, that would, be, that would be super fun to watch as well. Like, I, it's going to be the, a really great game. And, but the only thing that I'm really nervous about is the fact that it's being played at Chrome Park in Manly. We've spoken about it before. It's a synthetic field. Uh, the only reason that it's been chosen is basically because there were no other options that were available. So I'm not blaming anybody, but it's... You know, it, it, it is going to be a factor in how this game unfolds, I think. And Angie Beard was asked about it, the game and she said that they haven't played on synthetic fields at all this season. So they're a little bit hesitant about sort of what, what it's going to feel like, how the ball's going to move differently, uh, how they're going to have to react to the different spin, the, the different ways in which the ball can hold up depending on the temperature of the field as well. Sydney perhaps have a little bit of an advantage in that sense because they've played on it twice before. Um, so, yeah, not, not super keen on that, but hopefully it's a really, really good crowd. Mainly uh, notorious for having a really good home crowds for Sydney FCW games. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. But, you know, the, I, as a Sydney fan, uh, Melbourne victory putting six past Perth three days before this game where we just drew nil with Canberra and we just potentially lost our best striker. <sighs> Someone passed me paper. And I think the thing to note with that, um, Sam, is we saw victory 
do a lot of interchanges in that, like a lot of substitution, sorry, in that second half. Like clearly looking at players like Lisa Devanna being the main one, obviously, and getting her a rest. Um, it was a forced substitution with Annalie Longo. And you'd think if there's any doubt over her, they'll just pull the pin there and save her for a final three days after that. Like I don't envy both of these teams backing up one for this game, but two for their respective finals. Um, yeah, no, not very fun. The good thing is that unlike, I guess, previous seasons, we're not going to see them play and then play again three days later. Brisbane are locked into second, so we are going to get a bit of variety in the finals because that was, uh, yeah, it's very strange when you get those sort of accidental reverse fixtures happening. So, um, yeah, you're really competing to either host a final against Canberra or play against Brisbane Raw. So it's, um, yeah, I, I don't envy the team having to, play you know three four days after their last game on Wednesday and then back it up again four or five days later after playing on on the synthetic but we know that both of these teams are super professional and will and will just take it in their stride and kick on but I'll be very interested to see I guess what lineups they put out because I think you want to go for it you want to win some more silverware but you've also kind of got to have a little bit of an eye for for what's to come Sydney FC do have a little bit of an advantage in the sense that draws fine by them like, so I think this game is only really going to get spicy if, if Victory take a lead. I think it's a, a question for Andy Howe because Victory have won 6-0 twice this season but also lost 6-0 this season. So I don't know how many teams have done that over the course of the season but something something to think about. Um, as we've kind of alluded, alluded to, the big game is on Wednesday night. It's at Chroma Park, 735 the match is free. So if you're in Sydney, if you're anywhere near Sydney, go to it. It's going to be an absolutely cracking contest. Like, and I then, mean, what else are you going to do in Sydney? <laughs> you, <laughs> look, points were made. I think, you know. I'm just ha- like, I'm so glad I'm from Canberra and Sydney's the, the one that's being picked on. It's just such a nice position to be in because it doesn't happen all that often. Because Canberra's too boring to pick on, Angela. Oh, there we go. There it is. <laughs> Sam's acting up because we're picking on her. This is how people become bullies because they get bullied. Mm. Sam's not rattled at all. She didn't get at all phased by that joke. You're phased, not me. Anyway, we've got lots of big games coming up, as we mentioned. The game on Wednesday, decides the Premier's play, decides a whole bunch of things. It's going to be fantastic. We then have semi-finals Sunday and Monday Arvo. Obviously, who is playing and where will be decided after that Wednesday game and also when we get a clearer idea of what's happening in Brisbane with their coronavirus lockdown. So heaps to look forward to. Speaking of things to look forward to, we've got the second leg of the Champions League quarterfinals coming up midweek. Both of our Aussies had good wins in the first leg. As we mentioned, Sam Kerr scored a pretty spectacular goal against Wolfsburg. So they have a 2-1 lead heading into that second tie against Wolfsburg. That game's in Hungary because of Roni considerations, but it should be an absolute cracker. And it's on at Wednesday, 11pm our time. So absolutely perfect time to crack into some Champions League football. Ellie Carpenter's Lyon were 1-0 winners over PSG, so that's a slim margin to head into the second leg. They're playing at 3.30 on a Thursday, so if you're into your French football, I would suggest getting up for that one. 
And then the other two clashes, we had Barcelona beating Man City 3-0 and Bayern Munich beating Rosengard 3-0. So there's going to be heaps of great games on midweek. So if you are that way inclined, you can check it out on Sportsflick. We also had a whole bunch of FAWSL games and it was just, if you need a goal, call an Aussie because they were scoring all the bloody time. We had heaps of fun results. We had heaps of goals from Aussies. So quick run through of the results. We had Man United beating West Ham 2-0 at Old Trafford, mind you. We had Arsenal taking the bragging rights in the North London derby. They beat uh, Tottenham 3-0 and Kate Ford got on the score sheet, which we love to see. Man City beat Reading. As we mentioned, Everton beat Brighton 5-0 with a Hayley Razo hat-trick. She was absolutely everywhere. Kirby combined once again to beat Aston Villa 2-0 and Birmingham and Bristol drew 1-1. But as we said, it was all about the Aussies. How good do we all feel having Matilda's games coming up and literally all of our attacking options just firing? Well, it's, it's clear, isn't it, Marissa? You score goals, but we will score more. <laughs> like, that's it. We just got to score lots of goals. Like, we talked and... Again, I would encourage our listeners, if you haven't already, to listen to our emergency pod because we went into detail about things like defence and midfield. But it can't win many football games if you don't have anyone putting away the goals. But we just seem blessed at the moment. And I think maybe a month ago, it was a real shame where we had our players really starring and then there'd be an international break and we wouldn't get to see the Matildas actually take that form into national team games. But... You know, those games are, what, two weeks away now, like less than two weeks away. And Sam Kerr scoring for fun and assisting for fun. Caitlin Ford, as Sam said earlier, is just looking so dynamic and she's really doing it all. And that Hayley Razzo, after playing a couple of games as a wingback or fullback, just going forward again and absolutely bossing it. It's so exciting. Like, you'd have to think, assuming it's a front three, that's a locked-in front three. Ford, Kerr, Razzo, like, and that stacks up as well as any at the moment based on form in one of the top leagues in the world. It's it's super exciting. And for me, I've loved the way that these players have been scoring goals. Like, I've loved the way that Caitlin Ford has worked off um, Vivian Miedema to, to create and um, just being involved in build-up and then being really clinical with her finishing. And Sam Kerr has... I think, taken her own finishing to another level. Um, we mentioned that that goal against Wolfsburg um, in terms of her composure. But even with her two goals in the FA WSL, it was a, a beautiful bit of movement, a great header, um, which we know she's good at. Um, but also the second goal was so casual. And I think earlier in her time at Chelsea, you'd have seen her get the ball in that position and been like, this could go anywhere. Um, but she just put it away. Like... It's super exciting. I think it's a great time to be following these players and really exciting ahead of some some big games. Sam? In terms of players who are, I think are probably locks for the two friendlies that we've got coming up, Emily Van Egmont. You know, she, even though West Ham lost against probably one of their most impressive players, particularly in the first half. And she's been one of their most impressive attacking players as well. We've seen the kinds of goals that she can score. She can score with her head. Uh, which is, you know, something that's quite important as well, particularly when we're coming up against the kinds of defenders that the Dutch and the Germans have who are very tall, very physical. And so we're going to need to be able to compete with them in those areas. We know that Sam Kerr can obviously head a ball better than basically anybody, but having another threat alongside perhaps someone like a Claire Polkinghorne or a Laura Brock or a Lana Kennedy is important. Um, And also 
the fact that she is like has been played in that creative number 10 role that we know that she's so good at we saw how good she was that was at it during the olympic qualifiers last year and and she yeah she just sort of seems to be coming along quite nicely um with west ham and that's sort of ignoring the fact that west ham are at the bottom of the ladder at the moment and could potentially be relegated if they are i will be surprised if emily stays with them I think that she's too too good a player to to go down to the championship. Um, I'd be curious to to know Angela's thoughts on this in particular, whether you think that she has sort of made a name for herself uh, in that central midfield role, not just for the Matildas, but to the point of possibly being uh, snapped up elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was um, during Matt Beard's tenure as well. That was especially apparent. She was scoring quite a lot of goals at the front end of this season. um, And a lot of their goals the bulk of them, I think, for West Ham. But also what's interesting is, like, yeah, you mentioned that West Ham are at the bottom of the table. Um, and I it's I don't think it's because their attack are, are crap. I don't think it's that at all. I feel like, like Martha Thomas, for example, is another person who's been playing really well and has been getting chances and has moved herself into the starting 11. And Emily Van Egmond is one of the most consistent has been getting the most consistent minutes out of this um, midfield that West Ham have. So I think, yeah, she's definitely been making a name, well, not a name for herself, but a name for herself in the FAWSL and definitely deserving of that spot. But yeah, probably I would be surprised even if West Ham avoid relegation, if she would want to stick around. Um, It's probably, yeah, she could potentially be doing bigger things elsewhere at this point in time. Sorry, West Ham. Very sorry. But yeah, it's true. It's been a bad time. It was interesting, especially in that first half, like you mentioned, Sam, against Manchester United, I guess hearing the sort of reverence that the commentators seemed to hold her in when they were talking about her, her form, how dangerous she was, how much Manchester United had to look out for her. So clearly it's not just us with our like Aussie goggles on being like Emily Van Egmont's doing great like clearly it's like a everyone's noticing her type of thing and you know she does have that um special something to her game in terms of having her height but her creativity she can score goals create goals like super valuable type of player and for some of that quality I think Angela's right there and that if West Ham sort of just managed to scrap their way out of relegation she's only contracted I think to the end of the season surely she'll want to go somewhere where she thinks she can have a shot at trophies um because, you know, that's where you can really make a name for yourself. It's, it's great to be a player, you know, who stars, but you'd always much rather be getting that collective success, which is probably something that she would have really found after being involved in that Melbourne City team last year. She's got to sort of make a name for herself, whereas maybe if she'd initially just come to one of the top teams in the FAWSL, she would have had to do a lot of the rotating off the bench sort of stuff. Um, but surely she would be looked at as an asset by most teams that are trying to, really contend because as I said she's got as Marissa would say she's got the range um you can shift her around a little bit in that midfield but mostly when you've got a player who is so good at creating and scoring goals like that those sorts of players are always going to be in demand um and she's done it she's shown she can do it in a struggling team I mean to be fair she did that when she was at Newcastle at times in the W League it's kind of similar to the chat we were having about Alex Chidiak albeit at a different level earlier like She's shining in a team that's struggling and you wouldn't be surprised to see her look to, I guess, kick on elsewhere going forward because she's played in Germany. She's played in England. Um, she's played just about everywhere, to be honest. And 
I think is a sort of player that will always be in demand. But yeah, it's going to be super exciting to see her combine once again with those with those forwards who are doing so well. We know that her and Ford and Kerr in particular have such a great understanding having played together for really more than 10 years at this level. I'll be keen to see how well they can link up again, having been away from each other for a little while now. I love that. Um, so Hayley Rasso's hat trick as well. Maybe she caught whispers of potentially playing as a wing back and was like, no, no, thank you. I'll, I will make a formidable argument that I should be in the front line. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's, and I, I also wonder if like the news that they're going to be able to come back together as a group and play these friendlies has given them all a boost because it was, yeah, just F.A. Aussie WSL, no, that was terrible, um, this round. Like, they were stunning. Yeah, it's going to be so exciting that we get to see all of these players together and it is going to be a boost for them that they actually get to see their mates and play and do what they absolutely love doing for the first time in forever. As Harrow has mentioned a couple of times, we did a bonus pod, an emergency pod, about these upcoming Chili's games, so you can check that out wherever you get your podcasts. It's, it's very good. It's literally 46 minutes of absolute nuffery from us. So check it out. Um, but back to more regular scheduled programming, it's time for the boot. So Harrow, quick boot this week, but what are we booting? Yeah, just a quick boot. Just as per usual, it's like, this is very avoidable. Um, just the Telegraph in England to do some great work with their women's sports section. They cover the FAWSL, cover women's football and women's sport generally really well. They were just going on a bit of a run with polls and and questions um, about women working in male-dominated industry and just chose to just throw a little poll up on Twitter that said, do you think women are equally able to report on male sport? Yes, tell us why below. No, tell us why below. Did you really need to ask that? Like, was there ever any need to do a poll on this? Like, clearly women can report on male sport. I do it every day. Like there is, I just don't think there's any need to actually ask this. They had a couple of follow-up things that were, the first one was a reply that just said the future with the quote, we all are entitled to our views and mine is simple. It's 2021 and it should not be radical for a woman covering men's rugby to want to feel safe. And then it just, then they had another follow-up tweet asking if you're a woman working in a male dominated industry, tell them about your experience. Anyway, it was just a very bizarre series of tweets. And I guess it's one of those ones where it's kind of like we saw a couple of weeks ago around International Women's Day where Burger King did this tweet about women belong in the kitchen and then later replied with, but they shouldn't have to if they don't want to. And it's like, you didn't need to do the first tweet in the first place. Like, why are you throwing out, throwing this out as like some topic that genuinely needs to be debated, whether women can cover men's sports? Of course we can. Um, it's it's not a, a hard thing to do. <laughs> like, it's it's covering sports. It's going to games. It's going to press conferences. There is nothing that can stop a woman covering a game or a press conference or the lead story of the day as well as a man. Um, it's yeah. It, for me, it's just frustrating, especially from an organisation that has some great great women working there. Um, has done some great coverage on women's sport to just throw it out to the floor, which can then invite people to say, no, they don't, or to jump on a poll like that and just talk about why women don't belong in that space. I, 
I don't understand it at all. Like, and it's not even a discussion anymore about like, oh, but, um, you know, a, a woman wouldn't have, for example, if you're working here in the AFL, a woman couldn't have had that experience in the AFL. Well, plenty of my male counterparts in the sports media here have never played at the professional level. So then it is purely about excluding women for being women rather than for excluding them based on experience, which for mine was often an excuse used to exclude women in the first place. <laughs> um, yeah, just frustrating. Like I said at the start, like just unnecessary. It's not a conversation that needs to be had. Women can cover men's sport just as well as men. Um, and for me, it was just, yeah, unnecessary. So not a huge boot, but just a little reminder boot. We can cover sport just as well. It's not even really a, a discussion nowadays and it didn't need to be turned into a debate. It's also an interest, like, interesting way to phrase it because you could read it, do you think women are equally able to report on male sport? And the response would be, no, there's so many structural limitations on women getting into those male-dominated industries. But that's not what, that's not what they were asking. Um, and it's also like, oh, yes, I'm sure it grinds, grinds your gears, Anna, but it grinds my gears as well. It's like women should cover women's sport and then it doesn't get equal exposure or whatever because women's sport is undermined and undervalued. But also like women can't cover men's sport because they're – I don't really understand the logic, but because they're women, like in both cases, it's just like, anyway, keeping it a swift, sharp boot. I think the real telling thing about that tweet is that it has since been deleted. So the Telegraph knew. So yes, a quick boot because it's time for us to get into some how goods and we've got some of the best how goods. We alluded to it a lot. So Sam, what was your how good this week? My how good this week is probably my how good for the season, to be honest. It was Riley Dobson. It was Riley Dobson's retirement match uh, for Melbourne City against Perth Glory on Thursday night. It was Riley Dobson's final goal in the W League. Uh, and it was Riley Dobson's engagement to her partner, Matt Stoneham. So Anyone who is listening to this podcast knows what has happened. So I'm not going to sort of spend a lot of time rehashing, that, but I wanted to sort of talk about why I was so affected by it. Because when I was watching Riley walking off the pitch for the final time when she was substituted, and I saw, you know, her trying to hold it together, you know, sort of really recognizing the, the weight of the decision that she's made and what she'd be leaving behind. I was really, I got, I started crying then. It was, this was pre-proposal. This was like, I didn't even know that was going to be a thing, but this was just me watching a woman who has dedicated 10 years of her life to the W League. And this is a league that during that time barely paid her, barely, uh, you know, barely broadcast her, barely sort of gave her any sort of media. Like it, the, the W League has not really been the kind of league that has given much back to these women. And yet, despite all of that, they have dedicated themselves to it. And Marissa, I've loved that you've been tallying the 100 club of regular players this season because that club continues to grow and it's going to continue to grow in future seasons as well. And these are women that in a season as short as 12 to 14 games, you have to be in this for a long time to be part of that club. 
and that just I think it it shows how devoted they all are to the game to the league to the clubs to their teammates and to the community as well like these are players I wrote about this for my my column for the Guardian this week these are players that haven't kicked on overseas. They're players that haven't really been called up to the Matildas off the back of impressive seasons. They have simply dedicated themselves to Australian football. They've come back season after season. They've done fantastic work. They've been consistent and they've been adored by everybody, not just in in the clubs themselves, but everybody who watches them and and reports on them and 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 follows the the whole league. So yeah, Riley Dobson retiring, I think really epitomised that group of women for me. Um, she's someone who, whoever you ask, is is admired and is so inspiring. And even up until her very last moment on the pitch, you know, her last comment to Harriet Withers, who was the substitute to replace her, was a, a comment of encouragement. She said, let's go, girl. You know, like even though they were, they were in the lead, they were 2-0 up at that stage, she was still pumping up her teammates and a younger teammate as well, a teammate who was quite new to the league. And so that's, you know, it's a real testament to Riley as a person, as a player, and I think a really nice symbol of the, the, the women that we don't really talk about when it comes to why this league matters or how it has come this far. You know, the fact that we're, we're talking about the W League hopefully in the next five seasons becoming a fully professional competition back from when players players weren't even paid you know these players were part of that group and they've been part of this this growth and this success in fact they've been the foundation of a lot of that it's their constant returning to this to this league and wanting it to get better that has got it to where it is and one of the lines that I really loved from Dobson when she was interviewed um, after the the story sort of broke that she'd be retiring this season was to leave the league in a better place to when you got there. And I think she's absolutely been that person. She has made the league better. She has made all of her teammates better. She's made all the staff better. She's made all of us better as fans as well, because she has just been so pure and so joyous and so dedicated to this thing that we all love. So yeah, that my, my how good is, is Riley Dobson. It's all of the women that Riley Dobson represents. Um, and for that moment as well, which I think is going to live on in the memories of all of us for a really long time. How bloody good. And Raleigh is doing a fundraiser at the moment for the Mark Hughes Foundation, which is about brain cancer, which is what her partner or her fiancé, Matt, has been diagnosed with. So you can donate to that or share a link. It's currently sitting at $3,626 and a target of $10,000. So just like Stoddy, if you can get behind this, definitely go for it. We'll make sure it's easy for you to find that and you can donate as well. But yeah, some more how goods. Harrow, hit us with a how good. Yeah, got a bit of a double how good. Um, first of all, it's always great to see the women get to take centre stage at the best stadiums in the world. And that happened in two games in the FAWSL on the weekend. We saw um, Spurs play Arsenal. Um, in a North London derby at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is very cool for all the players involved. Um, but the one that really took centre stage was, we mentioned it last week in our How Goods, was Manchester United um, women played at Old Trafford for the first time. Our very own Emily Van Egmont got to play on Old Trafford as part of that West Ham team that lost. Um, 
but all the headlines were really about who was going to be the first women's player to score there. And that honour went to team sensation Lauren James, who, uh, yeah, scored the opening goal and um, Kristen Press followed up later on. But Lauren James is such a great story, being a young player who sort of earmarked from an early age, played for Arsenal and then moved to Man United when they were formed because she wanted to play as much senior football as possible. Um, obviously, being a creative midfielder with players like Kim Little and Jordan Nobbs in front of her at Arsenal, she went with Casey Stoney to Manchester United, has come through there, had a couple of injury problems, but scored that first goal, which is a huge moment for her personally and obviously for the club. And it just really wrapped up a really nice week for her because for those that don't know, her older brother is Reese James, who plays for Chelsea. Anyway, there was a great little story on the Telegraph, um, funnily enough, about the two of them, Reese and Lauren James. Um, and it was a really nice feature sort of with a artwork, had the two of them. And the, the headline was a quote saying, we're living the dream. Um, Lauren and Reese James on being England's first sister and brother superstars, which, yeah, is a really nice uh, little piece. They're both front and centre together and uh, really well done. And, yeah, just two, two young siblings that are forging their own professional careers and both look like they're going to have long, hopefully very successful careers. And it's, it's great to see them celebrated and most of all put on level standing in terms of um, that feature. So, yeah. Lauren James getting the recognition she deserves in a very, very big week for her. How good. So good. And it was a great goal as well. We'll make sure we give that one a retweet. Uh, Angela, how good from you? Uh, yeah. So Sam Kerr has quite a good Twitter presence, in my opinion, and she shared something uh, quite endearing and, and funny. Um, so her local coffee shop have obviously been keeping tabs and they know who she is and she's Sam Kerr, oh, my God. And they um, wrote on her delivery bag um, this week, we quote, hope quarantine is going all right. Good win against Wolfsburg. After seeing the cup final goals, never, ever let Fran Kirby go. She is your assist machine. And I was like, oh. Um, and Sam Kerr posted that and she said my life my local might be onto something here so yeah how good the coffee shops paid attention to their to their clientele and giving them little shout outs it's so good I can't believe that Sam Kerr's local coffee shop has just like exposed Emma Hayes's game plan like that for everyone to see like that is obviously a joke. Emma Hayes is a very good coach. Um, a couple of how goods from me. So on Instagram, stumbled across an account called Platts by Polly. And it turns out it is literally Melbourne Victory player Polly Doran platting mainly Amy Jackson's hair and just their kind of adventures at airports, at training, and everywhere is just people platting Amy Jackson's hair. Lisa Devanna also gets involved. Kyra Cooney crosses their plaiting. It's very funny. It's very dorky. And I love it a lot. So that's by Polly. How good. Um, and a final one. Uh, Atletico Madrid player Virginia Torresia has returned to training, which is doesn't sound like a big deal. But in 2020, she was diagnosed with a brain tumour, underwent successful surgery to have that removed and has been dealing with everything that goes with that. So she's been very unwell. Atletico has been right behind her. You can see often they'll hold up their, uh, her jersey before matches and stuff. So for her to be back in a place where she can be training is absolutely awesome. So we wish her the best with her recovery. Hopefully it's long and she's very healthy and all of that stuff. So 
uh, how good to Virginia. We hope that she continues to go well. So, yeah, that's another big pod because they're the only kind of pods we do. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au, on the ESPN app, on Spotify, Google, Apple. If you like what we do, please feel free to leave a rating or a review. It means a lot to us. If you want to get in contact, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next week, we'll see you at the semi finals.